Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassan, and I'm the Medical Director for the American Academy of Pediatrics Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. And I'm excited to share today's conversation, which is part of our Clinical Practice Guideline Implementation Series. Throughout this series, you'll be able to hear from pediatricians across the country, many of whom have been instrumental in developing the CPG or who have been out there in practice and working on obesity care and treatment. Our hope is that you can listen to these conversations and be inspired to think about how you might be able to integrate or improve obesity care and treatment within your practice. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to our podcast today. I am thrilled to introduce Doug Lunsford, Director of Student Services in Northfolk School District in Utica, Ohio. Doug is a parent of a patient with obesity and a patient representative and an advocate. And Doug and I have known each other for many years now. I think, Doug, we met first when you were a parent and a patient representative uh, on one of our projects around obesity research. Yes, that's correct. Uh, I was part of the, uh, my son and I both were part of the nationwide children's hospital team that met to help establish the healthy weight. I think that was back in September of 2014. Yes. And I remember, Doug, how awestruck I was about how important you, your son, and the other uh, parents and adolescents on that uh, committee, how powerful it was to hear your voices on the committee. And I don't know how you felt, but I thought I never want to be on a committee again without parents and uh, patient representatives and patients themselves if possible. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. It, I, I think where things really started to take off in that particular meeting was part of the responsibility of the group was to get surveys out to people at the representative hospitals that were forming the network. It, we were presented with a draft of the surveys, the parents and the patients were, and it was very long. It was like 10 pages long. So immediately the parents and the patients started to say, this is too long. Nobody's going to do this. And the reason why is, if you think about it, if you have an appointment at your, at your clinician, you've got to drive to the hospital. For most people, that's anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes. You're probably going to sit another 20 to 40 minutes to wait to just get back in a room. You're going to sit in the room for 20 to 30 minutes where people will come in and out and get, you know, things like blood pressure and height and weight and all of that stuff. And then you come in and you talk to the doctor for 10 or 15 minutes, however long they have. And then we wanted to stick a 10 page survey in front of people and say, oh, by the way, would you fill this out? And all of us were like, nobody's going to do this. And so we took a look through the doc and we found a number of areas where they were asking for duplicate information and we tried to trim it out. So we, I think we got it down to about four or five pages. And then we took it back to the doctors and the researchers, and they were a little frustrated with us because they had spent a lot of time to put this together, and they had all the information that they really wanted to be able to collect from all of these people, and now they felt like we were telling them that they had done a bad job. And really, we got to a point where we said, hey, you've done a good job, but we know realistically what people will and won't do. And you need to understand that we're all on the same page, and we want this to be as successful as you want it to be. And that really, I think, was the powerful moment in the entire movie. Absolutely. And I think just the feeling that we were all in this together, like you said, we all wanted it to work. And we were all trying to figure out how do we get this project to work 
the best way possible. So years passed and uh, we started on a, a project which we uh, have been working on for several years now, which is a clinical practice guideline on obesity treatment. And we invited you, Doug, to be on our committee as a parent, patient representative, and advocate. And I wondered if you could explain a little bit about what it was like for you to be on the um, clinical practice guideline committee. Well, I'd had some opportunities to work on a couple of other studies. Some doctors from Harvard and Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania or Philadelphia and a couple of other places. And that had been a really unique experience, especially the... Uh, Obesity, antibiotic obesity project that we worked on through FeedSmith. I had an opportunity to basically help engage stakeholders, which was interesting because we really hadn't done a lot of things like that, or studies hadn't done a lot of things like that before. And it was funny because we met for that project. And when I met the stakeholders, I was all excited. I'd spent about a year preparing to meet with them and meeting with the, the researchers and getting the project started. And when we met, they were all like, there's nothing for us to do. And so we had to find ways to engage them. So I spent about the first six months reaching out to them, keeping them involved, keeping them engaged. And what we found was that everybody had their own passion. And when we were able to find elements within the study that connected with those passions, then all of a sudden people felt like they were making a difference. That was a really great experience to prepare me for what I was about to go through with the committee, because on the committee, you literally have leading national experts in every phase of childhood obesity treatment. And it's an all-star team. I mean, it really is. And so I'll be honest, at first, I was a little intimidated. I really was because I'm like, well, I know who the smartest person in the room is not, and that was me. But I also knew that based on my experiences that I had something to offer. I think one of the most difficult things when you are a parent or patient advocate is you have to think beyond yourself. Mm. And literally, for the committee work, who I was representing were millions of kids and their families now and in the future. And that's, that's pretty, well, that's pretty awesome. But it's also, again, a little intimidating. What I found was so great about working with this committee was the fact that it seemed like every concern that I could think of from a parent and patient perspective, the doctors already had an understanding of this and really understood in a way that I haven't experienced since or before really understood what it is that parents and patients have to go through in terms of the obstacles that they face, the transportation, whether it be monetary, whether it be psychological. There was a great deal of connect between the doctors and what the patients and the parents and families have to go through, which really put my mind at ease. And so a big part of what I did was I took a look at, at the tech reports that we were given. And of course, I'm not a doctor and I don't have that kind of training. So I do a lot of Googling. I think I spent about 16 hours taking notes on the tech reports, going through and Googling things, highlighting things that I thought were important that we should make sure that we include in the guidelines. And then as we met, we just sort of went through those. And I really felt like all of those issues were addressed. So, Doug, I, I'm so appreciative of your, your perspective. And thank you for the, the compliments for the committee and from a committee vice chair's perspective and a committee perspective, I will say that we really looked to you and your experience to help ground ourselves and keep us grounded in our objective, which was really to meet the needs of the, the patients and families and get something to our pediatric healthcare providers that would serve both the provider and the families well. 
you did write something for us on the CPG. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can. I was asked to write a paragraph, basically to give some perspective as, you know, or give people some perspective as to what patients and, and their families would be thinking about the guidelines. I had a hard time writing one paragraph, a little more verbose, I think, than that. And so I basically wanted to write a letter to let both pediatricians and families know that, hey, the committee gets it. They understand what it is that you're going through. They recognize that this is a lifelong struggle, that obesity is, you know, something that you're going to have to, to combat the rest of your life. And another, I think another big aspect of it is that everybody on the committee understood that while there's a lot of research out there, there isn't as much research as we would all like to see. And there are areas that we have questions about that we still don't have any research on at all. And I guess part of my letter was to let people know, hey, there are people out there, experts who know this, and they're going to work to get that research done so that future guidelines will be even more complete and that identification and treatment of children with childhood obesity is going to improve. And I so love your letter, which is really upfront and center as we introduce the CPG. And, and you know, thank you again for that, because your letter really helps us connect with our patients and families in, in, a, in a way, a very personal way that the format of the CPG would otherwise not be as personal. So I, I really thank you for that. And so here we sit with the clinical practice guideline, and, and we did try very hard to look at the research in the context of what our patients and families experience and what the evidence says. And switching hats just a little bit to your patient uh, experience role and your advocacy role, you know, we, we now are stressing that obesity is a chronic disease. And do you have any thoughts, Doug, on how to help us as uh, pediatric healthcare providers talk about obesity itself as a chronic disease? How, how can we help patients and families understand this uh, in, in a way that's, you know, going to be a positive thing to, to increase their ability to, to maybe understand the treatment and the treatment components? Well, I think one of the things that I would say is go back to one of the things that you showed me a while back when you showed me boxes. And that that is that there are so many different things that can contribute to childhood obesity. And that it's not just about diet. It's not just about exercise. It can be about your social-emotional state. It can be about your social socioeconomic state. It can be about the environment in which you live in. And so there's so many different avenues in which childhood obesity can creep up and become a disease that somebody is affected with. And that, that really affects treatment. And when you think about all of those factors, you also have to consider the fact that during the course of time, since this is a chronic disease, some of those factors can change. You know, your socioeconomic status could improve or it could decline. Your environment can change. You can do a better job with diet and exercise, or sometimes we fall off the wagon and do not so great a job with diet and exercise. And so I think when we're talking with families about this, one of the most important factors is when you talk about all of these other things, it's important to make sure that people realize that this isn't about guilt or blame. And I think so many times, you get this stigma about having to deal and combat childhood obesity, and people feel badly about themselves. And unfortunately, a lot of times what they do to feel better is they go back and they eat more. And so helping people to understand that, you know, you shouldn't feel a stigma about this, that it's not about guilt or fault. It's about having this condition 
knowing that it's chronic, knowing that it's something that you're going to have to deal with your entire life, and then letting them know, hey, we're going to work together as a team, and we're going to find the tools that you need to help you deal with this problem so that it doesn't have as many or any negative impacts on your life, depending on how effective we are. So, Doug, you've hit on so many important points. And, you know, one is really to, and I think we do do this in the guideline, is to recognize that there is a lot of stigma and blame that our patients are burdened with uh, when they walk into our offices. And we have to understand that and we have to take that into account. And, you know, I always said, you know, the, the first job is to sort of remove the blame and guilt, because if you can remove the blame and guilt, then the joint partnership and work become possible. It's hard when you're feeling guilty and you're blaming yourself about something to really engage in that work. So I, I think that's that's very, very key to what we're doing. But I do have a, uh, you know, sometimes we say, oh, obesity, it's complex, right? There's so many different causes. It, it, there's so many variables and, and each patient has a different uh, amount of uh, stress on them, of uh, environmental conditions, social determinants of health. It's very individual, right? It, no, Absolutely. No, it's really look alike. And it, there's a high level of complexity. So how do you as a parent react as the doctor starts talking about this complexity? Is it overwhelming? Is it helpful? What is that like? Well, just starting with my and my son's personal experience, as we got started into more advanced treatment, one of the things that he did once a week was meet with a nutritionist. And there were all kinds of different things that the nutritionist talked about. And so I talked with my son about it and I said, look, let's just do one or two of these things a week. Let's get started with something and start to break some bad habits and start to make some new habits. And so I think that that's an important place to start. It's, we've learned a lot about childhood obesity. And so there are a lot of different things that we can throw at folks and say, hey, this and this and this and this and this. And people are going to be like, whoa, hey, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the survey. If you throw too much at them, they're not likely to do any of it. And so, like I said, we started with just trying to do one or two things. And once we were able to make those habits, then we would try to do one or two more and just kept building from there. And that was very effective. Yeah, and that's exactly the approach we're hoping people will take is, is you may have knowledge of many factors that could be addressed and the patient may also have that knowledge, but to operationalize that, you really do have to simplify how you implement the treatment. So it's this dance between the understanding complexity, and then getting yourself and the patients to the point where you can address the complexity in a way that's doable, right? Well, that's absolutely. Doable. And uh, how, how did you feel or how do you think, you know, we're looking at obesity now, as you said, right up front, as something that we're, our patients and families are going to have to contend with over the long haul. So you know, at the beginning of the obesity epidemic back in the 80s, a lot of people were hoping, I think, that, you know, six or 12 weeks would do it, right? We would just right. go to some kind of a program and that would be okay and we would finish it. So talk a little about, bit about what it's like dealing with this chronicity and how people may be talking to you about it or how you're talking, how you spoke to your son about it. Well, it's, I think like anything else, it's kind of a roller coaster. You have high points and low points. And I think that it's important 
in any situation where you experience things like that, highs and lows, not to make too much out of the highs and not to make too much out of the lows, just to try to find that middle point and that equilibrium point that you can, you know, find balance at. And so a lot of it just kind of depends on where you're at. I know initially for my son, he found quite a bit of success, but for him, it came at a personal cost. He would be out with his friends and they would want to stop in at a fast food restaurant. You want anything to eat? What's he supposed to say to his friends? And so that became really difficult for him. And so we had to have conversations then about, okay, how do you deal with that? Especially when there aren't a lot of really good healthy choices at some of these fast food restaurants. And so I, I, I guess... I guess it's mostly in accept. I guess acceptance is a big part of it. You have to accept the fact that even if things are going to go well, then that doesn't mean they're always going to go well. Or if things are going poorly, it doesn't mean that you can't turn things around either. And then just start to recognize when you're not at that equilibrium point and adjust accordingly. And I think that kind of long view, right, that you're going to have times when things are working well, times when they're not so well, and taking the long view has been really important for, for a lot of the patients so that they don't go into sort of these valleys of despair when things aren't going well. It's, it's a problem to be solved. Would you, would you say that's a fair estimation of, you know, that this is, if some things aren't going right well, we've got something to solve? Absolutely. And I think the more times you have to experience that and go through it, the easier it becomes to do it again. Well, just like anything else, it's very easy when things have been going well for a while, and then all of a sudden something happens, something changes in your life, things start to go poorly, it's very easy to blame yourself and say, well, I'm just not good enough, I can't do this. That's not true. It's just there are other factors in your life that are making things difficult right now. So how can we provide treatment and support to help you get past those things and get back on track? I think a big part of it too is if you recognize that you're dealing with a chronic disease, then you also need to recognize that Throughout your life, there are times where you're going to need help and you're going to have to ask for help. That's okay. Doug, you just, you, it was on the tip of my tongue to ask you what you just said. Sometimes it's hard to ask for help. It's really hard. It is. Sometimes I think maybe in our culture, we interpret asking for help as sort of a sign of maybe we, you know, we haven't done a good job or why would we need help? So can you say some encouraging words just for the healthcare providers to help parents sort of, you know, affirm that the, the whole issue of it's a partnership and asking for help, like you said, is okay. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because I think it's so hard sometimes. You mean from provider's perspective? Just from the parent's perspective to, well, to help the provider. Like what would we, how could we help that? patient feel a little bit better about asking for help? That's a really good question. I think a lot of it, a lot of it kind of goes back to bedside manner, I think. You know, what kind of relationship do you have with, with the patient and the parent? What kind of connections have you made above and beyond childhood obesity? Because you can use those connections to have really fruitful conversations because the parent and the patient will know that you really care about them. You know something more about them than just what's on their chart. I think that especially with childhood obesity, this is really, really important because you are dealing with more than just a condition. You're dealing with the emotions of the parent, the emotions of the patient. Again, talking about those feelings of guilt or potential feelings of guilt. And so to really know as a parent or a patient that my clinician or whoever's providing me with treatment at that time really knows me, knows my child, 
understands what motivates them, that allows you, that, that lets you know that they care. And that's huge in this. I, I don't think that I can emphasize that enough. You know, I am so happy you said that because I've always thought that it's the relational part of the treatment that that is so important. And we don't we don't talk about it maybe even as much as we should talk about how important it is to have that relationship and to be able to see, in addition, to be able to see the whole context of that child or adolescent, not just the fact that they have a problem with obesity, but they may be a singer. They may be an animal lover. They may be somebody who writes poetry or is a football player. And just to see that whole child and that whole family and the strengths of that child, too, sure. as they're moving into this, it is so, so important. Now, you know, in the CPG, we'll shift gears a little bit here. We recommend, you know, a, a, a pretty thorough, actually, medical evaluation of the patient. And this can come as a little bit of a surprise to some parents about why we're, we're asking all these questions about all these body systems and we draw all these labs. Can you talk a little bit about just your perspective about how you, in going through this process, perceive that evaluation component? It depends on the person. For me, I liked the fact that we were doing all of this, you know, basically we were doing all of this stuff to go ahead and really try to zero in on exactly what it was that was causing the problem. Some people will balk at all of this type of testing and analysis and evaluation because they're like, I don't understand. And it's because they don't understand. And so that's where having that connection with, with the patients and the families, giving them the knowledge that they need to help them understand exactly what's involved. Because I know when I first got into this, you know, with my son back in 2013 is when we first started treatment. And I really thought this is kind of silly. All we need to do is get you on a diet and get you more exercise. And of course, as we all learned in that program, there was so much more to it than that. I think that when you realize that there are other factors involved, you kind of want to know, well, is my child impacted by any of these things? And so just, just more sort of explanation to the parents, if they seem unsure about the evaluation, about what we're really dealing with here. And that Maybe we, you know, we really want to understand, just like we want to understand the whole context of the child, we want to understand the whole health context. Exactly. And, and, and I know that realistically, that's very difficult for clinicians and providers to do because I know you have a limited amount of time and that's a lot of information to extract and pack into, you know, a 10 or 15 minute visit. So we emphasize in the CPG that this is about follow-up, right? You can't do everything in one visit mm -hmm. uh, or even a, several. It's about follow-up over time. And how how would you, you know, you said in, in 2013, of course, you came in and maybe we were still at the point where we're thinking, well, you know, we'll just do six or 12 weeks and that, that'll fix it. How would you help parents understand that, that these visits, this contact frequency is really important. I know that uh, we probably received treatment for about two and a half years. And at that time, nobody had stayed in the program that long. Some of, well, like the physical therapist that we worked with, he was amazed that we kept coming back. And I was like, well, he needs the help. And I think that that was at a time where it was really, it was evolving that, hey, obesity is a chronic disease. and 
if it's chronic disease and you're still working to try uh, get your weight down, going to treatment helps. I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I guess that's how I, I would look at that, is just to let people know that you want to be able to get to a point where you can do the things that you need to do to stay healthy on your own, but that if you're struggling with it, you can always go back and get more help. And I think that's holding out that the help is there and it's not unusual to have to, you know, go back, get a little more help, come back again. You evolve too as a family. And there, as you said early on, your family life changes, your situation changes, and you may need more different help. Now, how, how would you help? We often deal with families where one parent may be very activated about the child's obesity and the maybe the other parent isn't so activated or extended family members aren't so activated. Uh, the question I got asked a lot uh, by parents is, you know, how do I get my grand the grandparents on board? How do I get other family members on board? How do I get my long time for the younger kids daycare provider on board? Any any thoughts about that, Doug? Yeah, I, I do. That's a problem that happens frequently, like you said. We have a lot of split parent families. We have some parents that, you know, there's just a single parent, but then they see other family members. I think the best way to do it is a lot of times too, in those situations, I guess I shouldn't say a lot of times because I'm, I'm assuming too much, but there are times in those situations in which the parents may not be communicating well with each other for mm -hmm. whatever reason. It has nothing to do with the child per se. It could be something that has to do with their own relationship. The best advice that I would give whoever's involved with the care of the child to get them in to see pediatrician, clinician, or whoever's providing services, to hear from them, look, here are the things that we're trying to do. That can be a big help. Now, I also know that it's difficult sometimes to get every family member even at the same time to be able to meet or get some people to come in. And maybe that's a point where we start to look at, hey, maybe we have a Zoom meeting or virtual to allow pediatricians to reach out to other family members and share information with them. It may not necessarily solve the problem, but at least it provides everybody with the same information and coming from an unbiased source. You know, I think it goes two ways. It provides the family members with information, but it also provides them with a voice that they can often share their different perspectives on the situation. And I, I think, you know, in this era where we're using Zoom a whole lot more, I think it gives us much more opportunity to really involve the family. So Doug, um, you know, we're, we're closing out our time a little bit. I just wanted to say, as you step back and look at the clinical practice guideline, do you think this will change things for parents and families? Any thoughts just about what you think the impact of this might be, if we're lucky? <laughs> well, I think from a parent and, and patient family standpoint, I do think that it will because so much of the treatment that my son received was treatment that we wind up documenting and including in the guidelines. It's nice to have everything together in one place for everybody to be able to see and look at and identify. I know that one of the things that would have been nice in this process, and, and I know a number of the people on the committee expressed this to me, is that it felt like there was an opportunity for us to really sit down and try to hash out where do we go from here. I think that's, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I really feel like that would be nice, something nice to be able to do in the future for us. But as far as what the guidelines do for parents and patients, it, it really does. It codifies things. It puts everything right there. It's almost really a roadmap to treatment. And that it is. And I think one of the things we tried to, we did emphasize here is that treatment starts 
day one. You don't wait. You don't yeah. see a patient and wait. So how, how important do you think that is for parents to hear? And how do you think they will hear that when we say, you know, treatment really starts the day one, as soon as you identify obesity, we don't wait and see. We, we give the patient all the support we can possibly give day one. Well, one, I think it's reassuring. Two, I think it can be, some people, a little scary because mm-hmm. they're going to walk away from a meeting like that going, oh my gosh, there's so many things I have to do right away. So again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Okay, here are all the things that we need to start, but day one, I think one of the things we do to help people be motivated to make those changes is to help them to identify of all of these things, what's one thing, mm-hmm. or what are one or two things that you can do today to go ahead and get this process started. Because the key in all of this is to get the patient and the family engaged in their treatment. Pediatricians can have the guidelines, they can follow them, they can prescribe the right treatments, they can provide all support that the patient and the family need. But if they aren't engaged, the patient and the family aren't engaged, they're not. And so really being able to help them identify, here we are, day one, what's something that you can do right now? My own personal favorite choice is stop drinking soda. But I, you know, that was one of the first things that we did. And my son and I both saw a 10-pound drop within two weeks. It could be anything like that. It could be going out and, and buying fresh produce uh, and serving that in, instead of, of, you know, fried foods. What, or going out and let's walk a half a mile a day just to get started with some form of that. Something that people can make the commitment to, and then you have to follow up with them early on to make sure they're actually doing it. And so well said, because I think that the, all the advice in the world is doesn't make an impact unless the patient and family can actually uh, engage in, in what they the change they want to make and, and do it. And by doing it, start to have some success. And by having success, build on that, right? Right, and I think it's really important to emphasize to people you may not be able to do everything, but everybody can do something. I love that, Doug. And with that, as we wrap up the podcast, is there anything else you would like to, to share with our uh, pediatric healthcare providers who are listening to this podcast? Well, just that everybody who I talk to about this issue are so grateful for everything that everybody's doing to try to help them overcome this issue and deal with this chronic disease. It's... I think that it can be very difficult to put yourself in a situation where you know you're going to be dealing with something that isn't ever going to go away. And every pediatrician that I've ever met who's dealt with childhood obesity always comes at it with a positive attitude, a smile on their face, always willing to help. And that makes a world of difference because that does help get engagement started. Doug, thank you so much. This has been a pure joy to to speak with you again. And thank you for sharing your time uh, to do this podcast with us. Sandy, always my pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. And I look forward to doing it again. Thanks, Doug. Hey, take care. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Doug Lunsford. I hope that you were able to take away some practical strategies on how to move obesity care and treatment forward in your practice. As a reminder, There are many resources to support your capacity building and CPG implementation efforts, which you can find on our website, www.ap.org slash obesity CPG.
information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.